0: Anybody else, you guys can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. My name is David. I'm the pastor here. Glad you guys are with us. One, um, I guess it's a reminder, uh, we all, we will take up a Christmas Eve offering. We do that every year, and we give all that money away. This year, we're going to give uh, to Park Street Elementary, which is our partner in education. They're actually getting a new school. A new school is being built, and in one of those classrooms, they want to make an innovation lab, and that's not in their budget from the district. them. That was the request of the principal, Deanna McIntyre. I think we'll hear a video from her hopefully in two weeks where she gives a little bit more background on that. And we also have, I think, 15, I think it is long-term missionaries, and we like to always give them a Christmas gift as well. So the Christmas Eve offering will be split those two ways. Stonebridge, long-term missionaries, and Park Street, our partner in education. If you won't be here on Christmas Eve, and you want to participate, you can give online. There's a little drop down and you can do Christmas Eve or at any point you can send in a check and just write Christmas Eve on the memo line and we'll make sure that it goes uh, to those things. Okay, great. So Advent, what we're doing is we're looking back at, G- at f- the first Christmas, Jesus' first arrival, see what, what, what changed. What did he bring and what does that have to say to us now? So we can look back at what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and that can give us some insight into what Jesus wants to do in our life now through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. So last week we looked at hope, a confident expectation of a better future. That's a biblical definition of hope. And we said we can have hope, we can have a confident expectation of a better future because when we look back at that first Christmas, we can see God doesn't forget his people And he doesn't forget his promises. So even though we don't know what the future holds, we can be confident that God's working and that he's not going to forsake us, that he's not going to leave us, that he's going to be true to what he said he would do. So we can move forward, confident expectation of a better future, because we look back and see God doesn't forget his people, and he does explore all of that here this morning. And we're going to talk some about worry and anxiety, and that can move people really quick into kind of clinical definitions and labels and diagnoses and we're not doing any of that. That's a that's another group of people and that's their thing. What I want to do is just ask you very directly, are you experiencing peace in your life today? December 8th, 2019. Would you say your life is marked by peace? Yes or no? I'm not asking if you have a diagnosis. I'm not asking if that's the direction that you need to go. I'm not asking if you're on medicine. I'm saying, do you have peace in your heart, in your mind, and in your life? So uh, we, we mentioned last week this epidemic of hopelessness in our society. Anxiety is even more prevalent than depression. I think twice as many people struggle with anxiety as struggle with depression. Forty million adults have an anxiety disorder. It's the most common mental disorder in our country. Uh, number one reason college kids go see counseling, anxiety. 13 to 18-year-olds are teenagers, one in three. A third of them will struggle with an anxiety disorder this year, in the next 12 months. And, and you know in your own life that temptation that we all have towards worry, and then for some of us, it's not just a temptation towards worry, it's this, there's this constant sense of apprehension About the future. Again, if if you think of of worry and anxiety on a continuum, the New Testament there's actually only one word that sometimes is translated anxiety and sometimes is translated worry. Where we live, and again with the kind of the professionalization of health, mental health, distinctions are made now, and this may or may not be helpful. Again, we're not not going for labels here. That the question is, are you experiencing peace? But worry and anxiety are not the same thing. Uh, and then there's, there, there, there's severe anxiety, PTSD, general anxiety disorder, social anxiety, all of the phobias. That's a, the severe hindrance to people living. The other end of the con- continuum, you would have worry, which is something that we all, I would say, our tent book called Almost Anxious, where she was trying to kind of quantify and qualify this group of people whose anxiety doesn't reach the level of clinical but it's enough to undermine their flourishing. And and that may be where many of you would live. You would say, "I'm I'm not all the way to the point where I'm crippled by anxiety, but it certainly gets in my way on a regular basis. And again, worry and anxiety are not the same. Worry tends to stay in your mind. Anxiety you experience in your emotions and in your body, that racing heart and upset stomach. Worry tends to be concrete and temporary. I worry about giving a presentation on Tuesday, and then I'm okay after I've done that. Anxiety is much more uh, general. It's vague. It's persistent. It's more uh, almost a state than it is just a, a a confined, almost an emotion like worry can be. So in the midst of all that, again, not trying to diagnose, just asking the question, are you experiencing peace? You may say, well, what is... What is peace? Biblically, you only know one Hebrew word. This is your one word you need to know. Shalom. S-H-A-L-O-M. Massive word in the Old Testament. Doesn't just mean the absence of hostility or the absence of conflict. It's the presence of wholeness, of harmony, of soundness, of tranquility. There's a relational quality to the word, up, in, and out. Uh, peace, rela- uh, right relationship with God, up, in with ourselves, out with, towards others and the rest of creation. When you read the word peace in the Bible, it's that full-orbed, robust understanding, not just not fighting, but the presence of right relationship and soundness and wholeness. And so I ask again, are you experiencing that in your life? Would you say your life is marked by shalom, And if not, good news, Jesus comes to bring you that. We see that on the first Christmas, and that's an indication that he continues to desire to give us peace through the Holy Spirit today. Maybe the most famous, most well-known Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus' first coming, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's our phrase for the day. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Think about that. His peace will know no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. When we hear the phrase Prince of Peace, we tend to think Great Therapist. When we think of peace, it's primarily internal, which is okay. Jesus absolutely ministers to our hearts and to our minds. We live in a relatively safe and secure environment, so we're not thinking peace in terms of externals. That, that, that's not really what drives us when we think of that phrase. We're thinking much more of our internal well-being, which, again, is great. That's not what the Israelites would have heard. They're a small country surrounded by bigger countries, and those bigger countries have bigger armies than them, and those bigger countries and bigger armies are constantly looking for an opportunity to invade to take Israel's land. They live in this state of tension, worry, anxiety, and and for them it literally is a matter of life and death. Are people going to come in and overrun our nation or not? In the midst of that, God through Isaiah says, great news. I'm going to send a Messiah and he's going to be a wonderful counselor. That is a leader who works miracles. He's going to be a mighty God, a divine warrior, an everlasting father, a shepherd who protects and guides, a prince of peace, a warrior who will defeat your enemies and secure your borders so you can experience that shalom in your life. So you can experience that shalom in your land. You can imagine how difficult it would be to flourish and thrive if you were constantly looking over your shoulder, wondering which of the neighboring superpowers was invading you this week. Very difficult to feel that sense of wholeness and soundness and equilibrium that shalom is if you're constantly worried about being invaded. And Isaiah says, the Messiah will be a prince of peace. He will be a warrior king, and he will defeat your enemies, and he'll secure your borders. One of the most important chapters in the Old Testament is 2 Samuel 7. And in that chapter, it's probably two-thirds through David's reign, and he has defeated many of the enemies of Israel, the Philistines primarily. And there's a growing measure of of peace, of a lack of hostility in the nation. And there, David is taking back some land that's been taken from the Israelites by other enemies. And, and, and he's establishing his, his kingdom. And he says to God, hey, God, it's not right that I live in this great house and you live in a tent. So I want to build a house for you, a temple for you. And God says that's a, that's a wonderful sentiment. But that's not your deal. That's not your calling. Somebody else is going to do that. But here's what I'm going to do for you. You want to build a house, a temple for me. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build a dynasty for you. And in the midst of this conversation between God and David, we read these words. I'm going to start in verse 9. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. There's that idea, defeated your enemies. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Remember that phrase, no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. And I've done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. This is a picture of what it means for Jesus to be your Prince of Peace. This is what he does. He defeats our enemies. He secures our borders so that we can enjoy what he's given us. For Israel, that was literally land. I'm going to defeat these other nations who are harassing you. I'm going to establish your borders so you're secure. You're not constantly looking over your shoulders so you can experience and enjoy the shalom that I want to give you. You can, you can flourish. You can be fruitful. You can prosper in this land. That word, that phrase, do not be disturbed, In the New Testament, that word disturbed is translated worry, it's translated anxiety, it's translated care. He says, my people won't be worried, my people won't be anxious, my people won't have cares. That's what he's saying. That's what he's promising them. It's a picture of what it means for Jesus to be our Prince of Peace. And just like for Israel, so it is for us. If we want to experience the shalom, the peace that Jesus wants to give us, we have got to become convinced that he defeats our enemies and that he secures our borders. Here's what the New Testament says about worry and anxiety. And I don't want you to hear this as condemnation. And again, avoid labels. It's just a question. Are you experiencing shalom in your life today? Is your life marked by shalom? Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 to 34 says, Don't worry. And if Jesus says, don't worry, then that means you don't have to worry. For some of you, that's, you can't fathom a day that's not spent worrying. But Jesus says, don't do it, which means you don't have to. And he doesn't list trivialities, very important things. Don't worry about food. That's essential to life. Don't worry about water. That's essential to life. Don't worry about clothes. And then all encompassing, just don't worry about tomorrow. Just any of it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Our worry is all future-oriented. We're apprehensive about outcomes that we can't control. We're apprehensive about potential negative outcomes, and that's what that fuels our worry, and Jesus says, don't do it. Worry, none of you, you're not adding an hour to your life by worrying. It's fruitless, so don't do it. Don't worry. Paul in Philippians 4, don't be anxious. Same word as worry. Don't be anxious about anything. All-encompassing word. There are no exceptions to the rule. This is really important so I can be anxious. Nope. Don't. I, I, I have a lot of responsibility. Nope. These are my kids. Nope. Don't be anxious about anything. In everything, pretend, present your petitions to God. And I love this phrase. He will guard your heart and mind. Think about that idea of the Prince of Peace as a warrior. Guard, one of those military words. He will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, cast all your cares. Your Bible may say anxiety. Same word as worry. It's the same word in all three passages. Cast all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's what we do when we're tempted towards worry. We recognize, hey, this is, I'm going to turn this back towards the Lord because I know he'll take care of of me. The the verse right before that in 1 Peter 5 says that we humble ourselves before the Lord. We resist the devil and he flees from us. One of the ways that we humble ourselves before God is by casting our cares on him. That's an expression of our need for him, of our dependence upon him. When we say, I'm giving you this concern, this apprehension, this worry, or this anxiety that I have, I'm giving that to you. That's 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 a concrete expression of humility before him. So the New Testament says don't worry about anything and don't be anxious about anything. So what that means, don't hear that as condemnation, but as invitation. You don't have to live racked by worry. You don't have to live in the grip of anxiety. Jesus has defeated all your enemies and Jesus makes your borders secure. He's defeated sin. He's defeated sickness, he's defeated Satan, he's defeated death. We see that through his ministry and through his resurrection. Every time he heals a sick person, it's a demonstration that he's stronger than sickness. Every time he casts a demon out of an oppressed person, that's an indication that he's stronger than the devil. When he rises from the dead, he's demonstrating he's overcome death. He's defeated all of those enemies, and most of us, we get that part. And when most of us, when, we, when we're not experiencing peace, it has nothing to do with sin or sickness or death or Satan. We're not thinking about those concerns. For most of us, the thing that causes us worry and anxiety, it's those boundary lines. It, it, it's that idea of our borders not being secure to work, to try to shore them up. Great passage in Psalm 16, that the Lord determines our lot and the boundary lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. We want to be able to say with conviction that that's true, that the boundary lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. And we want to say it not just when we're on the beach in Hawaii, we want to be able to say it on Tuesday when your kid got an F, when you didn't get a raise, when you had a wreck, when you had a fight with somebody you love. We want to be able to say the boundary lines for us have fallen in pleasant places. We've talked about this before. In the Old Testament, it was very tangible. God gave the Israelites dirt. The second half of the book of Joshua is brutal because it's a survey document. It means nothing to us. It meant everything to them. It was God saying to them, here's your inheritance. Naphtali, this is what you get. Asher, here's what you get. Judah, here's what you get. Ephraim, here's what you get. And here's what your families get. And here's what your clans get. Again, it means nothing to us, but it was everything to them. It was their inheritance from the Lord. Here's your land. Here are the boundary lines that God has laid for you. He does the same thing for us metaphorically. He still lays boundary lines for us. And we want to be able to say with conviction, they've fallen for us in pleasant places. And for most of us, when we're tempted towards worry or when anxiety grips us, it's around those boundary lines. Most of us get Jesus has defeated my enemies. He's defeated sin and Satan. He's defeated sickness and he's defeated death. But many of us lose sight of the fact that he secures our borders. That he's determined our lot. And that's where worry and anxiety tempt us and begin to creep in. A couple of things that I want you to be thinking about. And again, no labels here. When I think about worry, I see it as a temptation. Just like the temptation to be angry or the temptation to lust or the temptation to greed. Worry to me is a temptation. It's something that comes at me. And I have a choice in the moment because Jesus says don't worry. So I have a choice in the moment. I can either give in to worry or I can choose to not worry. And it's my choice. I get to decide. In my own strength, I'm going to whine, I'm going to I'm going to worry. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can choose to trust. Ultimately, that's what worry is. It's a it's a lack of trust in the Lord. And in that moment, I can say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give in to that. I'm going to resist that temptation. Just like I can resist the temptation to be angry or to be greedy or to be lustful. And my encouragement to you is to see worry as that to recognize it as a temptation, something that's coming at you. And in that moment, to submit to the Lord and then to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit to the Lord, to acknowledge, God, I'm, I'm feeling apprehensive about this situation or about this relationship. My desire would be to try to control it or to fret about it. Neither one of those things is ultimately an expression of faith. And so I'm asking you to give me grace in this moment to trust that you make the boundary lines secure for me, that the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places, to trust that you work all things together for my good, because I love you. That's another way of saying he's defeated our enemies and he secures our borders as he works everything together for our good. God, even if this doesn't work out the way I want, even if it's to me, the worst case scenario, You're strong enough and you're smart enough to work it together for my good and so I'm going to trust you to do that. I'm going to leave it with you. I'm going to leave it with you. I'm going to cast this worry, this anxiety, this care on you because I know you care about me. And I'm going to walk away and ask him for the grace to do that. Some of you are going to have to do that 700 times a day because you worry about everything. But over time, if you pray and i would say pray that prayer out loud there's power in that versus just thinking it saying it there's something there's something to that you don't have to yell people will think you're weird but you can whisper and i think there's something to it acknowledging that and praying that prayer over time you'll see that the temptation to worry becomes easier and easier to resist. And you'll recognize that it's, it worry, it's, it's coming at you. It's not coming out of you. Does that make sense? You treat it differently. I see anxiety is a bit different. Again, not in a clinical sense, but I see it differently. I think of anxiety as that temptation to worry plus a wound in my own heart that's being poked and exacerbated by that temptation. So we, we all have wounds in our hearts, and different temptations kind of stick to different wounds. And there are wounds that worry stick, stick to. Like some, some of you grew up, and you, you got foreclosed, your parents got foreclosed on, and you lived in a car. You, had, you were not financially secure. And so for you, the temptation to worry about money, it's more than just a temptation to worry. There's a wound in your heart and it grips you and you have an irrational apprehension around finances. You can never have enough. And it's not even it's not that you're greedy, it's that you're you have this fear of not having enough. It's not greed, it's fear. And you're going to constantly struggle with that level of anxiety around your finances until you deal with that wound in your own heart. Does that make sense? I don't have that one. That's not one for me. That may be one for you. We can both be tempted to worry about our finances, me and you. For you, it's going to be a lot different because you've got a hurt in your heart that that temptation grabs onto. And it goes beyond just this thing coming at you from the outside. There's something inside that that resonates with. And you move towards being gripped by anxiety. Does that make sense? So if that's the case, resist the temptation, yes. You also need to deal with the hurt in your heart. You got to ask the Lord to bind up the broken places in your own heart. And that the general ways God does that is through confession, through forgiveness, and through grief. Those three things. Confession, that's acknowledging where I've missed the mark. God, this is an area where I've sinned, and that's given the enemy access to my heart. And so I'm confessing that as sin to you now. Unforgiveness. God, I'm holding this person in judgment. I want you to pay them back for what they did to me. I'm not willing to release them to you, and that lack of forgiveness cuts you off from the grace of God. And it keeps the wound open in your own heart. It doesn't affect the other person one bit. It only hurts you. Grief, recognizing loss I'm not just talking about with people. For some, think of the, that, that idea of having an insecure childhood. You may need to grieve the fact that your childhood is not what you thought it should have been. Maybe not even what it objectively should have been. And to acknowledge before the Lord, that wasn't what I thought it would be. And I'm disappointed by that or I'm hurt by that. And you grieve, which may mean tears and may not, but it's just an acknowledgement. That that wasn't what I thought. That wasn't what I thought. I'm 44. Many of you are around my age, and at some point, all of us look at our life and go, "Is this? It's not exactly what I thought it would be. It's not," and that can involve some level of grief of recognizing that the dream that I had when I was 22 that is not playing out in reality. Can under that that can bring healing to your heart, and that shuts a door to the enemy. If, you're, if, you, if you have anxiety around your future, that may be one reason why. is because you haven't reconciled your actual life with the dream that you had when you were 18 or 19 or 20 years old, and you're still chasing that. And you need to grieve that. And then it just becomes a temptation to worry and not this wounded heart that the enemy gets to wreak havoc on. Does that make sense? So again, I'm not talking about whether you need to go see a counselor. Go see them. They're wonderful. I'm not talking about whether or not you need medicine. If you need it, take it. What I'm saying is, are you experiencing shalom in your heart, in your mind, in your life? Is Jesus the Prince of Peace for you? Not your great therapist, but the one who's defeated your enemies and made your your border secure. So because of that, because you know that as sure as you know your name, you have a deep sense of contentment with your life, even if all the circumstances are going sideways, because you're confident that God is working everything together for your good because you love him. You can look back to that first Christmas. Jesus is born. The angels appear in the sky to the shepherds. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Peace. That's what he brings, peace on all whom God's favor rests. That's you, and that's me. You don't have to worry, and you don't have to live in the grip of anxiety any longer. You can experience shalom this morning. Let's pray. First thing I would say, you can never experience peace in any other aspect of your life. Until you first have peace with God. Until, until you get the vertical, the up, the in and the out are never going to be right. Romans 5.1 says, Jesus is our peace. While we were God's enemies, Jesus died to reconcile us to him. And if you've never acknowledged your need for a savior if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never entered into a relationship with God, let today be the day. You won't experience peace anywhere else until you first experience peace, restored and reconciled relationship with him, and you don't have anything to be afraid of. God has already demonstrated his love for you in this. While you and me were sinners, Jesus died for us. You don't have to worry about what kind of reception you're gonna receive from the Father. He's already made that abundantly clear. He's anxiously awaiting you to turn towards him. And what, you're, what you'll get from him is an embrace, a ring, and a robe, and an invitation into his family. For many of you, you've already made that decision to follow Jesus, but you would say, my life is not marked by shalom. It's marked by worry and anxiety and and stress. Would you this morning, would you just acknowledge that? Ask the Holy Spirit, why am I wrestling so much? Why do I worry? Where's this anxiety coming from? I know that you've defeated sin and Satan and sickness and death. So why am I worried? I know you're a good God and you love me. So why am I so concerned about the boundary lines of my life? God, would you give me grace to trust you? To maintain the borders for me. Holy Spirit, I pray for every man and woman in this room that you would minister your peace. Peace that passes understanding into each one of us. I pray for those who would say, my life is driven is, is is I'm enslaved to anxiety. God, would you set them free today? Would you deliver them? I pray for every one of us we would not worry about tomorrow and that we would not be anxious about anything. In Jesus' name, amen.